Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone joining with us for worship today, both those in the building here and those who are joining with us online. <clears throat> now I know that the intimations have appeared on the screen, but can I give a, another intimation about our upcoming communion? A fortnight today, uh, the Lord's Supper will be celebrated here, God willing. Now I do have a confession to make. The minister that I was hoping to invite, in fact did invite to the uh, do this communion, I didn't manage to get him for several phone calls. And um, to cut a long story short, um, I was too late in, uh, in asking him. So the result of that will be that I will do the um, I will do the communion service myself. Uh, it will start on the Wednesday uh, with the uh, fast day. Then it will be Saturday evening, Sunday, 12 noon and 6 p.m. And it will conclude with the Thanksgiving service the following Wednesday. Now, because COVID restrictions have uh, gone the way they've gone, we will be back to what I will call a normal fellowship on the Sunday evening. In other words, we won't be limited to a wrap biscuit and whatnot. It will go back to... Uh, what uh, happened in pre-COVID days. So there will be a fellowship after the evening service on the Lord's Day. Now let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 66. It's page 299 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. All lands to God in joyful sounds aloft your voices raise. Sing for the honour of his name and glorious. Make his praise. Say unto God how terrible. And that word is how awesome God is. In all thy works art thou. Through thy great power thy foes to thee shall be constrained to bow. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 66. All lands to God in joyful sounds. Aloft your voices raise. <clears throat>
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, help us to listen to the words of these songs as we sing them. You are indeed an awesome uh, God. And as the psalmist says, your works ought to fill us with admiration. And on a day like this, as we look across the sky and at the mountains and the valleys and the seas, they speak loudly and clearly of you being an awesome and terrible God. And we pray that our response to it all would be that we would bow the knee in worship and in adoration. And just as the sun beats down its rays upon us from all of 93 million miles away, and if it didn't do that, we would all die. We pray that in the spiritual realm, your sun would shine upon us and give us all life the life that shall never end. We pray that as we gather here this day, we would remember that in six days you created this universe and then you rested. And in following your commandment, we seek to emulate that pattern. One day of rest, one Sabbath, in seven. And we pray that as we gather for public worship, that you would be in our midst to help us to worship in a way that is honoring to you, to worship in spirit and in truth. We pray that you keep the enemy of our souls at bay because he realizes what day this is, he realizes what place this is. He realizes who the people are that gather here. He realizes whose book this is that we sing from and read from and seek to explore. And he does everything in his power to complicate things and to go cause division and chaos. But we pray that you'd remember us in your mercy. And that you'd enable us to close in with you for this time of worship so that we might learn of you and we might be edified in our souls. We remember those of our number who are away on this holiday weekend. Be a blessing to them, wherever they might be. May they come back to us refreshed in body <coughs> and in soul. We thank you for the reason for uh, this celebration. We thank you for our Queen, for our many, many years of service, our dedication to duty is second to none. But she too has had her struggles in life's journey. We thank you for the example she has given us, and we pray that you would continue to, <coughs> to bless her. We pray that you'd continue to bless each and every one of us. We thank you for little voices in our midst this day. Bless them. Bless also the unborn in this congregation. 
watch over them and uh, watch over every one of us young and old we pray we need your hand upon us we at times in our folly think that we can live independently of you but that is abject folly we uh, are utterly and absolutely dependent for everything in you we live and move and have our being O Lord our God please deal with us in your mercy come in amongst us and do us good and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen Now a little talk for the young people today this is a holiday weekend and this is a holiday weekend because we are marking the celebrate. This is the celebration of our Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, being on the throne for 70 years. No one has ever done that in, the, in our history before. <clears throat> Prior to Queen Elizabeth um, becoming the longest reigning queen or monarch, in our country the longest one to reign was Queen Victoria and she reigned for 63 years but she died a long long time ago in, in 1901 so it was 63 years but our present Queen Queen Elizabeth has gone well beyond 63 years she's been on the throne for 70 years that is a long long time and in my prayer I said uh, thank you to God for giving us a queen like that because she has given us a great example of someone who was, who was um, very dignified and very noble in, uh, in all her years being on the throne. But I want to talk today about another king who beats Queen Elizabeth II by a long, long, long shot. And that's King Jesus. Because he's been on the throne for almost 2,000 years. That's a lot more than 70 years. He's been on the throne for nearly 2,000 years. When Jesus died on Good Friday, they put him in a tomb. Saturday passed. And then it came to Sunday. And on Sunday something astonishing happened. He came back alive again. But 40 days after he came back alive again, he rose up into heaven. And he's been there ever since. And he sits on a throne in heaven. And our Queen governs the United Kingdom. But this Jesus he governs every country in the world. In fact, he doesn't just govern this, plan this planet that we live on, planet Earth. He governs everything in the universe. That is an astonishing king. Utterly astonishing king. But not only are we here today to worship this king and, say, and give thanks for him for being the king of the universe and that he governs it, but he's far more than a king. He's our saviour. And uh, hopefully we all trust in him. And one day we'll all get to heaven to be with him. And he will sit on the throne of heaven. Not just for thousands of years. But forever, evermore. 
away out into the, the mists of the future. That's what you call a really astonishing king. And I do hope that we all trust in him, not just as our king today, but as our saviour as well. Now let's continue to sing in the same song that we've been singing in Psalm 66, page 299 of the Psalter, and it's at verse 6. Into dry land the sea he turned, and there a passage had, even marching through the flood on foot. There we and him were glad. He ruleth ever by his power, his eyes the nations see. O oh, let not the rebellious ones lift up themselves on high. We'll sing verses 6 to 11 of Psalm 66. Into dry land the sea he turned. <coughs> Into dry land <coughs> God's word as we find it in the prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 and at the beginning of the chapter. Now let's remind ourselves that Isaiah prophesied of seven, seven hundred and fifty years before Jesus came into 
this world. And it's amazing how accurate his prophecy was. Not that it was any more accurate than any other prophet, but uh, and I don't suppose it should be amazing in the sense that it's God who guided him about everything. It's the God who knows everything before it even happens. That's the astonishing thing about the God or the King that we are here to worship today. So uh, Isaiah is writing about the time that Jesus is going to be in this world. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become like reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen and may God bless to us that reading of his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God, as we turn to your word this day, please help us. We need our eyes opened to see spiritual truth. And we pray that as we explore this word, you would help both preacher and hearer alike. Because the reality is, if you do not come into our midst and you do not open our eyes to see these things, this whole exercise is an exercise in futility. But you are the God who said long, long ago to your own people, fear not, fear not. We are so full of so many different anxieties and fears. But we pray that we would come on a daily basis to your footstool and that we would unburden 
our souls before you and that we would uh, wait upon you for your help and for your answer. Remember those who are here this day with heavy hearts for one reason or another. Remember those who are seeking to come to terms with the loss of loved ones. We think this day of the Taylor family in Manlochy who mourn a loved one. You um, remind us day in, day out in the events of life that there is something seriously wrong in this world that we live in. But you also have given us this book of Revelation and you tell us clearly that you meet all our needs if only we are willing to listen to you and if only we are willing to bow the knee and accept your help and accept your gift. O Lord our God, please be with us as we go along life's journey. And help us to remember that soon we are the ones who will be moving on from this world. And may we remember this, there is no evangelism in heaven. It's not required. Nor is there any evangelism in hell. It's not possible. This is the time and place to share the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. O Lord, our God. Our earnest prayer is that people would turn to you and would bow the knee to you and would be found safe and secure in you. Remember our loved ones, we thank you for family bonds, but we do realize they will fracture every last one of them. We pray that we will all be part of the family of Jesus, together with you in the great beyond. We thank you once again for our present Queen. Bless her, we pray. And we thank you once again for King Jesus. May he bless us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song, Psalm 66 at verse 12. It's page 299 of the Psalter. Thou hast caused men ride o'er our heads, and though that we did pass through fire and water, yet thou broughtst us to a wealthy uh, place. I'll bring burnt offerings to thy house, to thee my vows I'll pay which my lips uttered, my mouth spake, when trouble on me lay. Now let's remember this. We are living in New Testament times. We don't bring burnt offerings to God's house any longer because Jesus is the great offering. But we still offer sacrifices to God. We commit our lives to him daily, hopefully, as an offering. So we look through these, we look at these songs through the lens of New Testament a revelation. We still sacrifice or otherwise to God uh, in the 21st century. Let's sing verses 12 to uh, 15 of this song. Thou hast caused men ride o'er our heads.
Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and we're going to look at verse 22. Can I just set it in context? John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, and he realized who Jesus was, and he declared, to everyone, behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. But John went through very, very difficult times. He ended up being imprisoned by King Herod, and he experienced what we might call spiritual depression. And in the midst of his spiritual depression, questions arose in his mind about Jesus. And so he sent some of his followers to Jesus with this question. Are you the Christ? Or should we look for another? And here's the answer that came back to John the Baptist. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore this passage of scripture a little bit further. I'm following on from where I left off last week. Because last week we looked at what we called first of all fulfilled prophecy. We looked at the fact that Isaiah, amongst others, hundreds of years beforehand, 
said that certain things would happen when the Messiah came. And here they are, they are happening. And so, basically Jesus is saying to John the Baptist, Isaiah's prophecy is being fulfilled in your midst. But the second thing we looked at was acknowledgement of the prophet. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Some people found Jesus an absolute offense and they did not believe in him. Others believed that not only was he the Messiah, but that he was the greatest of all prophets this world has ever known. And they bowed the knee to him and they were blessed because of it. But I did point out last week when we were looking at this area of scripture some of the things that occurred. For example, the blind received their sight, the lame walked, lepers were cleansed, the deaf heard. And then you would have thought the greatest of all the miracles was that the dead are raised up. But there's something comes after that. And what comes after that is this. The poor have good news preached to them. And if you remember last week, I spoke about the poor here. It's not about people having no money. Poor in that sense. This is about people who see themselves spiritually poor and impoverished. The poor have good news preached to uh, them. And what I want to do today is this, is to concentrate a little bit more upon what's at the top of the pile here, so to speak. The poor have good news preached to them. And, and I'm going to do it in this way. You know, when Jesus was in this world, he did give people sight. He did enable people to hear. He did cleanse lepers. He did enable lame people to walk again. And, and every single one of these miracles, there was a difference to them. And what Jesus is doing <clears throat> is this. These miracles were designed to capture the attention of people. And not only to capture the attention of people, but to get people to start thinking things through and to come up with basic questions. And the basic question would be this, what on earth is going on here? Who are you and what's this all about and where do you get your powers from? And, and of course the answer again and again and again was this, I am the Son of God. And what Jesus was saying when he said he was the Son of God was this, I'm not just a human being, I'm also God. Now these are hard things to grasp, and we don't make any bones about that. That there's great mystery here. But he's basically saying he's God coming to this world as a human being. And he wants to capture the attention of people. And so he does it in all kinds of different ways. It's not just one type of miracle. There are all kinds of miracles. And here they are, they're in scripture today, these miracles. And in the 21st century, these miracles are designed to do the exact same thing 
they were designed to do on the day that they happened. They're meant to capture our attention. They're meant to get us to focus on them. And they're meant to get us to ask, what on earth is going on here? Of course, he is the God-man come to this world. But there are other questions that fall in behind that. What, what are you doing in this world? Why have you come? And the answer is abundantly clear. God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now I mentioned in my prayer today that it's not just the Bible that teaches us about God. Life in general does. There's hardly a week goes by but someone in our community passes on into the great beyond. And that's a reminder to us that there is something fundamentally wrong. I think we know that anyway. But it's not just that there's something fundamentally wrong. I mean, we are deflated enough at times and depressed and dejected enough at times without having to be told there's something wrong. But what we need is this. We need to know what the solution to it is. And that's exactly what God is doing in Jesus coming into this world. And part of all this miracle making is uh, part of that answer. And what I want to do today is this. Now all these miracles literally took place. Blind Bartimaeus saw again. The man who was put through the roof who couldn't walk by his friends to Jesus. He got up and he walked again. The deaf heard, the dead, in, in this very chapter, we read of the widow of Nain's son being raised, being raised from the dead. All of these things literally happened in this world. But I want to concentrate on, on this, this, one's, this, this one, the poor have good news preached to them. And what I want to do is I want to bring these miracles onto a spiritual level, so to speak. For example, the blind receive their sight. Jesus can give Bartimaeus his sight again, literally. But you know when the good news is preached to those who are poor... One of the things that happens to these people is this. That their eyes are opened spiritually. Now what does that mean or what will it entail? Well it will entail this. When God works, and this is as much a miracle as any of these other miracles. When the good news is preached to those who are poor in spirit. And you know, some people read this passage of scripture and they think that there's something terribly virtuous about being very, very poor. And you get some people going off and being hermits and being this and that and they have no money and, and, and it's kind of like an idea that they're going to earn almost brownie points for that kind of thing. 
I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, those who have heaven, and they get it as a gift, are not people who are patting themselves on the back saying, You know what, I've made the grade. I'm a kind of good person. And people should recognize how good I am. And not only is it that other people should recognize how good I am, God will also recognize how good I am. And God will give me a pat on the back. And God will say, because you're such a good person, I'm going to take you into heaven with you. Now, wherever that kind of thinking or teaching comes from, it doesn't come from the word of God. But there is a message in the word of God. And it is for people who spiritually feel they are absolutely bankrupt. Who feel in and of themselves, I am impoverished. I have nothing. In terms of earning merit before God, I am completely and utterly bankrupt. Now maybe you're here today. And maybe that's the way you think. And if that's the way you think, I'm saying good. Because you don't get to think like that by nature. You get to think like that when the Spirit of God works in your life. And you know what the Spirit of God does? The Spirit of God opens the eyes of the blind so that they see themselves for what they really, really are. And it's not just that this person who has their spiritual eyes open thinks, well, I have no merit. It's not just that. It's that they have mountains and mountains and mountains of demerit. Because they look at their lives and they see their lives riddled with sin. And this is one of the things about God operating in the life of an individual and opening their eyes. Things that they never ever thought were sins in the past become real issues. Or it can be like this. Things that they thought, well that is a sin. But I'm not terribly bothered about that. It doesn't get me down. It doesn't gnaw away at me. It doesn't drag me down. And now it's come alive again. Or not again, but it's come alive for the first time. And it's become a real, real issue. And people get deflated, people get dejected, people get disheartened because these things are going on in their experience. And I'm basically saying, don't treat these things as negatives. Because where the Spirit of God operates in the life of an individual, eyes are opened and they see things that they never saw before. And so there are issues and concerns and problems in their own experience. So he does open the eyes of the blind. And you'll remember that Bartimaeus was the example we spoke about last week. You know, Bartimaeus, it wasn't just that he had his literal eyes opened. He had his spiritual eyes opened as well. Because we know that at the end of what happened, he followed Jesus in the way. And that was the same with the lame man as well. Through the roof to Jesus, he literally had a miracle of 
getting his ability to walk given to him. I was going to say restored. Maybe he was lame all his life. I don't know. But uh, it's more than that. We are told that Jesus also forgave his sins. And that's a reminder to us on the spiritual level as well. You know, we are all on a walk on life's journey. We are, we, we are all on a journey. And when we think of a journey, we think of a beginning and we think of an end and we think of the bit in between. But on a journey, you're heading somewhere. Now the reality is this. That we, in our natural state, are on a journey that leads to the lostness of the lost. The wages of sin is death that's God's word in it that's God's take on it and let's remember that in the Bible the word death is used in three different ways it's used in terms of spiritual death when Adam was in the garden of Eden he was at one with God they were in communion, they were in fellowship, there was a togetherness. But the moment he rebels against God and eats the forbidden fruit, he's out. He is out of the garden. And that togetherness no longer exists. There is now separation. There is now spiritual death. death. Now it's not that Adam... The second meaning of the word death is where body and soul are torn apart. That doesn't happen to Adam immediately. But it does happen to him further down the line. And that is a consequence of the spiritual death. But there's a third meaning to the word death in scripture. And that is eternal death. That's when someone stays on the course and does not change direction. And ends up in the lostness of hell. Eternal death. But the astonishing thing about this good news being preached. To those who are poor. Poor in spirit is this. That on the walk of life's journey you can do a U-turn. That's what conversion is. Conversion is to do an about turn. And we are the ones who must do an about turn. Now, now I know at the end of the day. It takes a miracle of God for anybody to be made alive again spiritually. And part of that miracle of God is enabling us to do an about turn. And here's a great tension. The tension between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility You know, some people think in terms of this. If I'm going to be saved, I'll be saved. And if I'm not, I'm not. And that's it. Well, if, if, if that is the way you think, and if that is the way you operate, I, I can guarantee you this. You're going to be lost. 
you're going to be lost. Because in the sovereignty of God, one of the things God does is he treats us as responsible creatures. And he gives us this offer of salvation and we are to accept or reject it. But God can give us the miracle of doing an about turn. God can make us walk in a path that we've never walked in before. And ultimately God can put us on a journey by his enabling that will take us to heaven itself. But I want us to think in terms of lepers are cleansed. You know, the lepers in ancient times, it was so hard being a leper. Because you were out of the home. You were out of the community. You were out of your social circle. You were away from your family. The isolation was awful. Just awful. And there was no cure. There was no cure. You were in your leper colony. And you had to keep crying out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Because it was just so contagious. It was an awful existence. It was terrible bondage. But this Jesus came and literally cured the lepers. But you know, on the spiritual level, sin is the leprosy of the soul. That's what it is. And in and of ourselves there is no cure. But the astonishing thing is this. Christ can cure the leprosy of our souls. And if you are here today and your eyes have been made to see things that you never saw before and you want to walk the walk that ends with your destination being heaven itself but in and of yourself all you can say is unclean, unclean, unclean and I want to remind you of this it's for a person like you that he came to save and I'm in the same boat as well that's the glory of King Jesus. That is the glory of him. It's the leprosy of the soul that Jesus came to deal with. And then it goes on to speak about the deaf, the deaf hearing. You know, just as the eyes of the person of whom the Spirit of God is, is operating... So it is in the realm of hearing. You know, theologians talk about the, the general call of the gospel. The gospel goes out to one and all. The theologians also speak about effectual calling. Now, what is effectual calling? Well, it's a call that has an effect in the heart. It doesn't just fall on ears. It penetrates and it has an outcome. It has an effect. 
And it is a great mystery as to why the general call of the gospel just glides over some people. But it penetrates the hearts and the lives of other people and it becomes effective. And sometimes it manifests in this kind of way. People will sit under a gospel ministry for years and years and it's just as if it was water off a duck's back. Nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden they're listening in a way that they've never listened to before. And they think that something has happened in the experience of the preacher. And it has nothing to do with the preacher. What's happened is something has happened in their experience. They've been given hearing ears by God. And they hear things they've never heard before. And not only is that the case, but the other thing that's spoken about here is the dead dead are, are raised up. The bottom line is this. The bottom line is this, that Jesus performed literal miracles of dead people coming back alive again. You know, every believer in here today has been part of an even more astonishing miracle of the dead being raised. Because in this world, by nature, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Utterly and absolutely dead. But Christ came not only to give literal life to people who were physically dead, he came to give spiritual life to people who were spiritually dead. And this good news is preached to the poor in spirit. And that's why this day we should bask afresh in the glory of this king we have been speaking about. I want to just wrap up this sermon by going to, the, to, 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 to this um, blessed is the one who is uh, not offended by me. Remember that the people who were most offended by Jesus of Nazareth and indeed the ones who were the primary drivers to have Jesus crucified were the church leaders. The church leaders who had come up with their hundreds and hundreds of different rules and they, they reckoned that they had kept them to the extent where God was looking at them saying, these are good people, good people. And good people earn their way into heaven. No they don't. No they don't. Because there's not such a thing as an absolutely good person in this world. We are so good at hoodwinking one another. And pretending that we're something that we know fine. We're not. But it's not just other people we hoodwink. The sad thing is, we hoodwink ourselves from time to time. It just suits us. We just pretend to ourselves. But there's one thing for sure we cannot do. 
We cannot hoodwink God. We cannot hoodwink God. And here we are, every last one of us. And we know that we're going to die sooner or later. We know that we're going to die. And we know the reason why we're going to die. The wages of sin is death. Now you might well say, that's depressing stuff. Of course it's depressing stuff. But the antidote to it is this Jesus. And so what I'm saying this day is this. We can afford to be upfront and honest with ourselves. We can afford to say, yes, we're blind, yes, we're deaf, yes, we're lame, yes, we're lepers, and we are poor, poor, poor in spirit. And still lift up our heads and praise the eternal King because He's done something about it. He's come into this world. He's performed all his miracles. He's died at Calvary. He has risen again. And for almost 2,000 years, he sat on the throne of heaven. Some people have been deeply offended with him. Deeply offended. But they're offended because... They're good people in their own minds. And they don't need a saviour. They don't need a resolution to sin. They just don't need it. And when Jesus comes along and presents himself as the solution to sin, they're basically saying, but I don't need that. I'm good enough. And so he's anathema to them. And he's an offence to them. But I hope it's not that way with you and I today. I hope that we look at this Jesus and we are not remotely offended because we know who we are and he knows who we are and he's done something about our problem and about our plight. And so in the 21st century here in North Keswick Good news has been preached to the poor in spirit. And that is what gives us hope. And that's what gives us a lift. And that's what gives us encouragement. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was in this world, was saying to the people, Fear not. Why? Because he's coming. And he came 700 years later. And here we are another 2,000 years further down the line. And he is still reigning. And he is reigning supreme. And I hope with all my heart, not one of us is offended at him. But that rather we bask in the glory afresh today. Of what he has done. For sinners. Such as you and I. Now let's conclude by singing the final verses of this song. Psalm 66. It's page 298 of the Psalter.
sorry, it's page it's page 300 of the Psalter, sorry, it's page 300, and it's at verse 16. All that fear God, come here, I'll tell what he did for my soul. I with my mouth unto him cried, my tongue did him extol. We'll sing to the end of the psalm, all that fear God, come here, I'll tell what he did for my soul. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.